a little tip in the book, but maybe the best tip in the book, right? Is you're not going to see this coming. Leave your cell phone home on date night. You go out with your wife. You, you tell me you make all this money, probably for your wife, your kids, and then you're out with your wife for the three hours a week, and you got your phone underneath the table. Right. You're in the bathroom checking. And how much attention are you really paying her? This week, I want you. When you go out with your wife, when you say, honey, I'm not taking my phone in case the kids need us, they got your phone. I want to just pay attention to you. Let me know how the rest of that night works out for you. You know what, I'm I will. It's a game changer. Hey friends, welcome to another great episode of the Empire Podcast Show. Today we're doing an inside look into someone who's a legend in the sports marketing industry. In fact, this gentleman has the largest, widest reach in sports memorabilia, Mr. Brandon Steiner. How are you, sir? Welcome I'm, to the show. I'm great. Great to be here. This is fun. Listen, you're here obviously because you wrote two very amazing books, You Gotta Have Balls and Living on Purpose. And both of these books we're going to talk about in just a few moments. But Let's talk about how we've met, and we've just recently met, and we met through a mutual friend who's also been on The Empire Show, Randy Garn. How do you know Randy Garn? You know, I was, my, my phone was dying, and uh, he looked like a sorry sap that had a, a lot of gadgets, you know, he had all kinds of power charges and boosters, so I went That's over Randy. to him and I said, Randy, uh, you think you can charge my phone? He goes, come on, sit down. And uh, we've been best friends ever since, man. I mean, How guys, long ago was that? Um, ten years ago. So I've had 10 okay. years of Randy and, you know, you definitely need, you know, if you want to maintain a relationship with Randy, you're going to need to eat your Wheaties every morning to keep up. Yeah. You know, energy level. The and he's really the state of the art relationship building, playing the long game. Amazing. That's what I love about Randy. Yeah. Amazing. And speaking of playing the long game, you've been an expert at playing the long game. What you do is something very unique. You, uh, you've sold dirt from the Yankee Stadium. I mean, you sell stuff as sports memorabilia that most people don't even, can't even wrap their brain around. How did this happen? How did you get started? Well, I'll, you know, it, the real thing starts when I was really a kid because I think everything starts around value proposition and everything does start with a purpose. When I think about the Steiner Collectibles, which is really the first empire I built, for, for you want, when you get really down to it, I never saw that coming. I was on the train. I'm in Scarsdale and uh, taking the train every day. Uh, underneath the word misery in the dictionary would be me on a train. I mean, I mean, just so unhappy. And I'm like, I gotta go off this train. People are eating, they're talking on the phone, this guy's got his shoes off, and you're crammed in. And half the time I'd miss the train, you know, my wife like, you know, the train doesn't wait for you. You gotta get there a couple minutes early. And I just wanted to buy a car. So it was 1994, and I started Steiner Sports Marketing in 87. We were marketing athletes and booking athletes, and I still do that to this day, but I knew I needed to do more. And when you say you're marketing athletes and booking athletes, what are you marketing or booking them for? Um, appearances, like trade shows, uh, commercials, speaking engagements. I mean, especially in the late 80s, no one was really doing that. And I had a Rolodex, there was no online, no cell phones. To be able to get a hold of athletes, I had thousands of athletes' phone numbers. You would see me traditionally outside of a locker room or out in the parking lot waiting for guys to come out, but you had to get their phone numbers. Then you had to try to create work. Nobody was really using these athletes much. The whole athlete marketing craze happened more later in the 90s. So if I found like a Magic Johnson $5,000 in the late 80s, that was a lot of money. Gotcha. And uh, but in order to get a hold of Magic, you had to get his home phone number. 
because even the agents weren't really worrying about that stuff back then. Right. So I'm grinding around, running around all over the country, taking players everywhere from Roger Staubach to Johnny Unitas, you name them. And, you know, things are not going particularly great. And I'm on this train. My mother had just passed away. And by the way, my mother's favorite line, you got to have balls. This book's dedicated to her and all the things she taught me, by the way. And I made a shitload of money listening to my mom. If you get anything out of this conversation, like listen to your mom, they never steal you wrong. Love and a lot of times if you do a good job, you can make a lot of money. I'm on the train. I just want to get off and buy, buy a car. I've never had a new car. And I look down and I see this gentleman has got the Daily News and he's got Mark Messier, hockey player for the New York Rangers. And the Rangers just won the cup. They hadn't won in 54 years. And people are going crazy. I'm a little down, but I'm looking at that. I'm like, I bet I could sell like 15,000 of those if I can get Mark Messier to sign them. I don't know how I'm going to get that. I don't know, Mark. And that's how my brain's working. I'm thinking I'm going to duplicate the back page of the Daily News and sell 15,000. And Mark writes, we did it. It was 54 years of waiting, or we did it. He was going to sign those two But at this point, you don't know Mark. No, no, Mark. And I don't have a collectible company. I'm just booking and marketing athletes. I chase Mark down, like, you know, when you, you know in college, when you have a crush on that girl, right. and you're trying to find anywhere she might be. Brother, lawyer, sister, accountant. Where they eat lunch. Yeah. Three months later. I signed Mark Messier, my first collectible deal. And, and by the way, this isn't like the modern days where you can look at their Instagram and say, hey, they're eating at, at, at you know, Double Eagle Restaurant or somewhere. Like, and you're Mark, having to stock them. And Mark was not a money grabber. You know, he, there was a small dining room table. He wasn't a guy, if he had a few bucks, he was just going to do it. He was yeah. very particular about what he did. I had to do a lot of convincing. It wasn't like I had any kind of platform to show him. Yeah. Other than a good rap, a good story, convicted about him signing that damn photo. And sure enough, six months later, he signed a shitload of photos. I got off the goddamn train and bought a Lexus SC400. <laughs> and, you know, people say, how would you start signing a collectibles? I'm like, honestly, I just want to get off the goddamn train. And it was a money grab. It wasn't for the betterment of mankind. It wasn't like I wanted to do this or that. Now, I built Steiner up because I love bringing people closer to the game and all these crazy things I've created. But to get it started, the purpose... Money grab. Get off the train, man. Get money the... grab. Yeah. Sometimes pain is a great motivator to create an outcome, isn't it? And the pain of being on that train and having to rush to it. It was. It was a great. You know, I think. I think if you're an entrepreneur, true in spirit, um, and and you're really in that mindset, there's a lot of pain and a lot of dark places you have to go because where you have to go to find that solution, or that where you're trying to serve people with a solution that you see the gap but no one else sees it. Obviously, is painful. It's lonely. And when you come out with it, nobody's agreeing with you. It's not like everybody's going, oh, that's brilliant. I'm like, that's stupid. I don't see that. How's that going to work? Then you have, if you have a wife like mine, who then will give you 20 reasons why it's not going to work immediately. My accountability police, I call her. So immediately, you know, I, now listen, the best decision I ever made, sure. marrying my wife. Probably the last decision I ever made, but the best decision I ever made. But, you know, I mean, so, but that's the accountability of the entrepreneur. Because my wife's a CPA, by the book, you know, so like, I mean, I'm, you know, you're trying, you know, you're trying to fight through that. Like, so you're going to support this family. Somebody's going to sign a hockey puck and a ball. And that's how we're going <laughs> to. You know, back then, that does sound fucking nuts. Oh, it was nuts. foreign. You realize that. But that I sounds knew nuts. being such a fan, I'm, oh, I really want to imagine if I get Mickey Mantle on a baseball, it would be like. Imagine if I get that base on that field or if I can go get that jersey the players wear. So I that's knew. what you're thinking when I you knew. go to a ball game? You're like, I want that base or if I could just get that ball and have him sign it? Yeah. And no, everyone else is just thinking I want to watch the game and get the entertainment. And I'm thinking, would I really like to meet that guy? If God came down and said, whatever you want, 
nah, I don't really want to meet him. I, that's why I decide if I actually want to go sign a player. But I'm thinking like the dirt. Mickey Mantle's been on that dirt. I see people go on the field, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth. I'm like, people grab a handful of dirt. I'm like, I think I could sell that. Now, I'd love to tell you about how genius it was, but I was desperate. The economy went for the shitter. It was in the tank. I had bought Yankee Stadium for $18.5 million. Do not advise that if you're at home to do that. Not smart. But I knew I had to go give that stadium the respect. Yeah. And the Yankees gave me the opportunity to partner with them. So things got tight. You know, the economy was terrible. I, mean, I need to come up with a low cost, high margin, by the way. Um, Margin on the dirt's phenomenal. I can only imagine. Great margins on dirt, if you really want to get to it. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, you know, what do I do here, you know? <laughs> You're killing me. So, you know, you got the dirt, and, and you know, 200 skews later. So you say to me, Brian, how do you get the 50 million of dirt? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I, I got to get granular here. All right, okay, okay. Ended with the but dirt. the dirt is, is... You're getting this. Okay, how much dirt are you selling? 200 skews. So you, how much dirt are you putting in a vial, and what is it selling for, if you don't mind me asking? Well, right, at the, the, the initial products, are, you know, dirt. Dirt coasters, dirt pens, dirt keychains. I'm spraying adhesive on a photo, putting dirt on there. Um, the little capsules and, with a photo. And remember, I've got dirt now from every stadium. And the viscosity and the color of every dirt, which is very key, is different. Not all dirt is created equal. I'm just saying. You so, sure know a lot. So I'm thinking, I'm selling thousands of these units, but at $29.39, it will tough. And I say to people all the time in entrepreneurship, your first idea is not your best idea. You've got to keep grinding. You've got to keep going after it. Don't settle for some success. If you want to be extraordinary and significant, you've got to keep going. So my mind's going. I know I got something, but I'm really not sure where it's going to go. And selling $29 pens and keychains is not what I was hoping for my future. However, gratitude is so important. I'm writing Brian Cashman a thank you note. And I say to my graphic person, make me a, make me a nice poster with all the pictures of all the ballparks. I'll, I'll be a nice gift for Brian. Great general manager. So good to me. I want to thank him with something really nice. We'll frame it nice. Then I say, you know something? We got dirt from all the teams. Put a capsule of dirt on this poster. It looks beautiful. And I noticed that, you know, the viscosity, the color is all different, of, of you know, the density, everything. So I write the note, Brian, thanks for everything. Now you have a little dirt on every team in your office. Bam! Booyah! Done. Now, $500. Get out of here. Now I'm selling dirt maps for $4.99. Ah. And I'm making a dirt map for San Diego Padres, for Kansas City Royals, for the Yankees. Well, the Yankees are always the top selling dirt. You know, Yankee dirt is special. It's special dirt. It's different than everything else. Now I'm thinking for $500, we start. That's all of a sudden. And instead of selling you a pen, and where are I'm you marketing you 32 these? pens. Where am I not marketing it? That's the point. Well, I mean, you don't have I the internet at, at that point. I look at every store. I look at every catalog with a question. Why aren't you carrying my product? Brilliant. Until somebody proves me that it's not. But the problem is most people, when they're thinking about it, they're like, ah, they're never going to want my product. No, I'm thinking like, you need my product. And let me prove to you why until you prove to me why not. Where did this and level of balls come from? That you, you're, you're saying, why does your, your catalog, your store not have my product, while everyone else nowadays is thinking, ah, they don't want my product. Where does this level of balls come from? This, this my mother. My mother is really? like, do not say no for an answer. People are confused and they're stupid. And you've got to convince them sometimes that they've got to take more, of a, more time to realize what you're doing. I go to Neiman Marcus. I say, you know, I want to put a couple of SKUs in your Christmas catalog of collectibles. Like, you know, I really don't want to do that. I say, you know something, you're right. I want to do my own catalog with you. Let's do a Neiman Marcus Steiner catalog. So the guy says, absolutely not. No way. I don't want to do that. 
Brendan Hoffman. Love him, great guy. I go back to Dallas the second time. He says, you know, maybe I could put a couple of SKUs in there. I said, you know, I really don't want to put a couple of SKUs. I want to do my own catalog. He goes, let's try a couple of SKUs. And I always say, dream big, sample small, and fail quick. Now, I said, okay, want to sample? Let's sample the two SKUs I gave him. And that's the thing. When you get a window of opportunity, hit him with your best stuff. Not your high margin, not... Hit him with your best Was stuff. Was it the dirt map? Was Phenomenal. that one of them? No, we're at the, no, it was just two good items that I knew would, would do well. And the margins were decent, but it was a good play for them. Yeah. Promotions are for people, not for profit. I knew that. Was, I looked at it as a promotion, as a sale. So I gave him something that was going to be good for him and his customers. Not so great for me. A year later, Neiman Steiner. Catalog. Yeah, our own catalog that we sent to all their customers. And that's the brand play you want. Like, who knows Steiner? But Steiner and Neiman. Neiman Marcus was an upscale, beautiful. Huge. Huge. You just aligned yourself with an upscale, beautiful brand. It's the only way to go. Why would you partner with anything? I mean, you're going to start throwing the P word around, partner. It needs to be somebody who's going to increase the size of the roof over your head. Never partner with anyone that is going to increase and broaden your horizons. Holy smokes. No way. And that's what I love about my wife, um, American Express I was partnering with for years. I mean, you know, NBA, Derek Jeter, Yankees. It's not by mistake. Brandon, I got to tell you this. The, the, the two things that our mutual friend Randy Garn told me was that you are a curious person with a massive imagination and work ethic like no one else. Where does the work ethic come from first? Because I heard you talk about earlier off camera about making bagels when you were 12 years old. Well, Is that where it starts? I think it starts when I was 10. I mean, you know, I was 10. I, I, got, I got called to the front of the classroom and uh, my teacher gave me an envelope of money. I was like, what's this? You know, when you're young, you really don't know what you have and don't have. I mean, I know we weren't rich, but I mean, I wasn't thinking we were as poor as we were poor. And he said, well, here's an envelope of money. You need to buy some clothes. I said, why do you think I need clothes? He goes, well, you, you've been wearing the same pants for three weeks in a row. I said, how do you know that? He goes, well, there's a rip in your right knee. So I went home. I was humiliated, crying. I, I remember like it was yesterday. And, you know, my mother always had a story. Bigger than life. A woman, you know, that she's like, oh, no, we're just waiting for you. You're in between sizes, some bullshit. And I went to sleep that night. I was like, you know something? That doesn't, that's, that doesn't make sense. Uh -huh. I, I said to my mother, at 10, now, I don't know if anybody out there has got young kids, but at 10, if I get my kid to come down and get dressed and eat, that's huge. Yeah. At 10, I said to my mother, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I will go out and get a job on Saturday. I'll take care of me, and if I have some extra money, I'll, I'll add it to the family. I went out on King's Highway. It was in Brooklyn. It took me about six, seven hours to go find this job, and Freddie the Fruit Man hired me to deliver fruit and vegetables uh, to all the rich people around the neighborhood. They would put these big orders in. You know, a little later on, I go to my mother, I want a career change. She said, career change, you're 12. I said, well, um, I, I want to play ball after school, and the fruit and vegetables things is all day Saturday, it's after school, I can't play with my friends. So that was my purpose, like how sure. do I get freed up? Right. I get the paper route. And the paper route was crazy because I've got 29 dailies, 34 Sundays. I tell people all the time, I've seen the light at an early age. Unfortunately, it was a refrigerator light because it was empty. So I love to tell you how I got start. I was starving, literally. I mean, there was no food. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced like having no food and no money for real, like borderline. Like I've looked at all my friends' houses mm -hmm. who I can go over and I can hit their cupboards. So I'm going out. I'm trying to sign paper routes because whoever has the most paper routes sign sign ups, I win a box of candy bars. Bringing home a box of candy bars would be like Huge. bringing home a million dollar lottery winning ticket for a 12-year-old. Sure. 
I go to this lady's house. She's like 70. She's like, no, I don't want to get the paper delivered. I've been, I've been knocking on doors. And, I mean, literally in the neighborhood, up and down the street. No one wants to buy the damn paper. Finally, this lady says, come back another time. I don't want to get the paper from you because I got to tip you. I said, oh, man, I'm so close. I go to my mother. I said, Mom, why do we have to live in this neighborhood? People are so cheap. She says, I'm going to teach you something right now, and I want you to remember this. And if you remember anything in this conversation, I want you to remember this. You got to stop selling. You got to start serving and solving. If you're selling the same thing that someone else is selling, how are you going to differentiate yourself? And the way you do that is by trying to serve and solve a problem. Don't expect just to show up and sell something everyone else has. Now, at 12, I was trying to get my arms around that. So I'm buzzing around, knocking on doors, nothing. Where does your mom come up with so much depth of wisdom? She was a businesswoman back then, and you know she didn't she didn't mince her words. And, and I was kind of like this weird kind of. I was a, always a good student, and and um, she had a great vision about business. You know, she owned businesses, and we always talked business. We'd always walk in, look at that businessman, look at that business, it's got no balls. Look, look how lazy this guy is. Look, look, this could be so much better. I mean, mom, I'm eight. But, you know, we talk right. about it, you know, a restaurant or a clothing store. And I go back to this woman's door, the old woman. She's about in her 70s. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm desperate. I said, ma'am, you sure? You seem like you want to get the paper delivered. I said, if I bring you milk and bagels on Wednesdays, every Wednesday and Sunday, if it's torrential downpour, snowstorm, heat wave, a woman your age should not be outside in this kind of weather. I will take care of you. I'll make sure you get your milk, your bagels. You need something else? I'll take care of you. You would do that for me? See, I was worried about you. I'm thinking, oh, you're here. If something happens weather-wise, you can't go out. I'm here to help you. And I'll make sure that paper's here by 7.30 every morning. That is so sweet. 199 days, 234 Sundays later, my route. I mean, I had swagger. That's big. That's huge. But what I really learned was is that it's not about what you're trying to sell. It's understanding what your customer needs. And are you really listening? Which most people aren't. Are you really hearing and really imagining what it's like to be that customer? You solved her. What you did is you sold the paper by solving her most pressing problem. I just want to make sure our audience is paying attention here because I know sometimes they listen and they multitask to these podcasts. You went to sell her a newspaper. She says, no, go away because I don't want to buy the newspaper because I'm going to have to tip you and that's just not something I'm willing to do. You go back to your mom and you complain, mom, why are we living in this town? Why are people so doggone cheap? She says, you're selling, son. You need to be solving problems and serving people. You go back and you go, hey, lady, there's going to be torrential downpours, snow, cold, whatever, and you're going to need your bagel and milk. You buy the newspaper, I'm going to also bring you bagel and milk. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? And you're solving her bagel and milk problem? 100%. And, 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 and you got to be authentic about it. And you got to put that. yourself, I mean, as a 12-year-old, you got to try to imagine what it's like to be a 70-year-old and what, what kind of conditions that she's in. And I realized when weather gets bad and there's some issues, I may need to get her some coffee. I may need to stop the supermarket. I'm happy to do that. Now, I didn't know she was going to turn me on to every one of her friends, which is why you always want to do as much good as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can, and expect nothing back. Put as much good out there. I was just trying to put out some good out there so you know I can help the lady. And it came back hundredfold. I bring up this story because it's the game changer for my life. Derek Jeter didn't need me when I signed him. The Yankees didn't need me. I mean, I can't tell you the players I've signed to deals because I wasn't jumping into these deals like everyone else that deals with a celebrity. Like, what can I get from you? No, what value can I give? And value is what can you do for someone that they can't do for themselves? 
No one talks enough about value. Talk about the value really down and deep about what you could do for something they can't do for themselves, and that's how you go make sales. So when I approached the Yankees, it was about the customer. How can we protect the customer? How can we protect the most valuable asset, the fan? And that's how we ended up creating Yankee Stein, which was a game changer. And that's how I ended up signing so many different players. Was that a turning point for you? There's no question. I, I, I never approach any business situation unless I feel like I could really bring value. Never. I mean, the money grab, if you're just in for a money grab, it'll be just that. You're playing the short game. The real long game, the big, big grown-up game, how do I put value in this thing? How can I really help this person? And then I let everything else through faith come around to work out. Because it always does. When you provide value and you're solving problems for people, who's getting rid of those kind of people? Who's getting rid of somebody who's helping you solve a problem? No one. That's valuable. So well said. So I'm seeing the picture that your empire really started off, well, your work ethic started off at the age of 10 when you realized that we are poor, when the school is giving me money to go and buy new clothes. It's humiliating. And you call the teacher and you go, well, how do you, how do you know? And she says, you've been wearing the same pair of pants for three weeks, and I know that because it's got a tear on the left knee. So you realize at this point that, hey, mom, I'm going to go pitch in, I'm going to work, and I'm going to take care of myself. If there's anything left over, I'm going to help the family with this. And that's where the work ethic kicks in, and I get that. And I can see that it's carried through. What about this nutty imagination that you have, this ability to see things and opportunities of selling dirt and a piece of a, a basketball court? Where does that come from? Um, it comes from your ability not to compromise and not to let success get in the way. I think success gets in the way. I think you have some success. You see teams, they win a bunch of games at the beginning of the season and they don't finish out that way because they actually started the two worst words is, you know, good job or you start feeling good. And I've never been someone who's, I don't really have a, a real, I don't really have a real profound, I always tell my employees, if you want credit, go to the bank. You ain't getting it from me. If you can't, it's an inside job. If you can't feel that inside you that you're doing a good job, then you're probably not going to be work out here. If you need me to come around, put my arm around you every other day, this is just not going to be the place for you. And for me, I'm not afraid to go in some dark places and not settle for just success. I, I want significance. I want extraordinary. So for me, usually these things come like, I never forget in 1998, we were about to go out of business. Um, we had put all my money into the Yankees. They were winning, uh, winning a lot. David Wells just pitched, pitched a perfect game. So we had the whole team sign a piece for the perfect game to sell. We, I just started the collectible company and I had all my money, several hundred thousand dollars out on this I idea, except one problem. David Wells didn't want to sign. That's a big problem to have. Huge. The piece around him, he doesn't want to sign. And he's like, I'm not signing. Matter of fact. What was he holding out for? I'm curious. He wanted more money. And then at some point when I didn't give him the more money, stupid, stupid, he goes and signs with another company. Were you being stubborn? Yeah. I was being stubborn. And it was a valuable lesson. It's like, don't worry about how much you're paying. More think about how much money you can make. Sometimes you get caught up. I'm not going to give him that kind of money. No, no. What kind of value, what kind of money can you make off of a deal? Did, how much of that was your ego? I just need, I, I need all, to pry here. All the, of it. So, so the Brandon Steiner of today would have been done. You got it, man. Because I would have gone to, wait a minute, I'm not worried about how much I'm paying him. How much can I make if I pay him that? If it's a, if it's a nice sizable amount according to the scheme yeah. that I have? And what is the future opportunities that I have? Here's what I'm him. giving him. It's What can you make from that? But I was, you know, digging my heels in. At that mm -hmm. time, I was starting to get a little bigger, and I was afraid that other players are going to want more money. I came up with all kinds of basically bullshit stories yeah, that, I, that I started to believe. Yeah. And sure enough, four in the morning, I looked at the phone at this time because I'd been on the phone with one of my key employees for four hours and 32 minutes. At four in the morning, and I just left them at 8 o'clock at night. And that was a, it was an early night for us back then. 
4, 4.30 in the morning. My wife had gotten up about an hour early and said, who are you on the phone with this all this time? And we were just sitting there just trying to think of a way to salvage it. And we ended up at 4 in the morning coming up with an idea of taking the scorecard from that game and building a shadow box where we took a ball from the competitor company and said, we're not going to put David Wells on the photo, but he's, the, he's the, the key to the thing. We put a sign ball in the shadow box along with the photo, so it looked like it was supposed to be exactly the way it was supposed to be. Brilliant. And then we sold all that thing and saved ourselves, because we were done. We had no money left. It wasn't even going to make payroll. And we came up with that idea and never looked back. So your first idea is not always your best idea, but you know, the question is when it is a good idea, how are you reacting to it? Me, I've never been big on the celebration lunch. When I'm hot, I'm at the table, I'm rolling, I want to keep going. And I think that sometimes when you come up with a good idea, I think it can always be better. It can always be improved. And that's where you go make really big money. Mm. Brandon, I got to stop you right here and share with our audience two really big lessons. There's been at least two dozen lessons here, but two really big <laughs> ones here that you just dropped. One, ego is the enemy. And we've got a lot of young entrepreneurs who are just starting out in their journey. Ego is the enemy. And you're saying that if the Brandon Steiner of today was to negotiate with him, you would have just said, here, let's do it. Because what is the profits that I'm making? And what is the opportunity for, of working with this gentleman in the future or the organization? And the other thing I see here is that when, you, when that opportunity fell apart, when you ran out of resources, you were able to get resourceful. Get the ball, put it in the shadow box, because you didn't have money for payroll coming up. Yeah, I, I think resilience is under, underestimated characteristics, but I also want to say with the ego, SOS, you know, do not be stuck on stupid. Mm. And SOS is a very common thing. Just because you came up with an idea, and you forecasted it, and you felt it, and you, so what? And I think, you know, you, you said ego is the enemy, so is disappointment. And disappointment, I talk a lot about living on purpose, about disappointment, it's a killer. Because you come up with a forecast, right? Something you think you deserve, something you think that you see it and you crunch the numbers or you felt it or a few people that are around you told you you deserved it, then there's what life gives you. And the gap between what life gives you and what you thought is disappointment. Mm. And that'll kill you. If you let that linger, if you don't resolve it and own up, you got to be able to look in the mirror and go, Brandon, you're an idiot. Okay, no, no, that person's not an idiot. That girl didn't dump you. That boss didn't fire you. No, no, you fired yourself. You got dumped because you deserve to be dumped. And that idea sucked because it just wasn't well thought out or wasn't the right timing or whatever it was. Because if you don't settle that score, that disappointment will linger and will stop you from doing the next thing. Example, guy gets dumped by a girl. He's heartbroken. He loved her. She, she dumps him. He meets another girl six months later. What's she say at first thing? You know, I like you, but we got to take it slow. And I'm not quite ready to get into this thing right now. Why? What does that girl have to do with the other girl? But because you're carrying over that disappointment, you're already assuming that this girl is going to treat you the same way. Mm -hmm. And we do that in business, right? You do a screwed up sure. deal. You know, we got to move a little slow on this. Maybe i got to actually go, hey, if you have no reason to feel any kind of disappointment or pressure. If you've resolved your past and you're confident in yourself, you're confident in your strategy, you go about your business the same way. But it's amazing how many times things from the past will creep up for the future if you don't resolve them. Disappointment and ego are the enemy. I have to add on to your ego I love the that. enemy. And, 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 and by the way, where ego is the enemy comes from, that's my dear friend, uh, oh, well, uh, Ryan Holiday. Uh, he genius. wrote an amazing yeah, book, love right? That book. Ego is the enemy. And you're right, disappointment is the enemy as well. So let me ask you this. Yeah. You've got so, so, much, so much years of wisdom beyond 
you know, those listening to this. And, and I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of talking to people who've been there. You're where I want to be. Well, thank you. Let me ask you this. How, you use the word resolving the disappointment. If someone's, whether it's heartbreak, but we're obviously talking about businesses and empires. Someone comes out of a bad partnership. They're walking on eggshells now. Man, that, that guy screwed me. Things didn't go well. I almost lost my house. I have to file for bankruptcy. So they pussyfoot into the new relationship, new partnership. How does someone resolve this stuff so that they can go in there with guns blazing? I talk a lot about, I talk about that on Living on Purpose. And I've, I've even literally gone back recently and apologized to people, said I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of, you know, listen, even saying you're wrong, even though you're not wrong. You ever get into a fight with someone and, and, and you know you're right and you're both right. And you say, you know something, maybe I'm wrong. The other person, 90% of the time, says, you know something, maybe you're all right, maybe I'm wrong. And then you work it out. Again, ego gets yeah. in the way. But I also think that sometimes you are dead right, and sometimes you have been screwed. Sometimes life does give you a shitty hand. And that's where mercy comes in, which is giving forgiveness to someone that doesn't deserve it. But either way, you have to resolve. And so many people are holding grudges. And what's terrible is you think you're hurting the other person, but you're hurting yourself. And you, because that negative energy stuff that's trapped inside is not enabling the positive stuff that you need to do because it's taking up space. So you've got to go and give people mercy. And, and that's kind of what I've learned. Yeah, there's some people that have treated me really shitty and I've gotten the raw end of the stick on people outright, not even my opinion. But I give them mercy. I, I forgive them. And I go to them and I forgive them. I may not want to be the best friend going forward, sure. but I, I forgive them. I go out of my way and say, you know something? I'm not mad at you anymore. I understand what you did. I wasn't ecstatic about it, but I'm sure you had your reasons. And um, I'm grateful. You want to take your disappointments and turn them into gratefulness. So listen, you go back, you can always find the good of whatever you've experienced. Sure. No matter how bad things end, there's always some good. And uh, if not anything else, it, it was a lesson learned. I, I think I think think most of your disappointments could be turned into appreciations when you really think about it. And sure. when you think about it, your biggest, I mean, the biggest learning lessons always come from the most painful and the most, you know, the yeah. hardest stuff you go through always is the stuff that makes you grow, right? Absolutely. So when you go back and if you do that thinking process, Really selfishly, it opens up the room for the next thing to take over. Otherwise, you just be clogging it up. Now, let's talk about these two books real quickly. Obviously, this first one here is You've Got to Have Balls. Tell us about this book and the term You've Got to Have Balls, which is a term that your mom came up with. Yeah, this is, this is a book that, you know, so many people, I wrote this book mainly because so many people come to me and say, well, how'd you build this business? It was, wasn't a business that existed, let alone an industry. And I had a big part in building this industry. And this was the mindset and the thinking. And it really shows you what, you know, how do you come up with the dirt? Or how do you come up with taking a broken hockey stick and making it into an ice scraper? I've sold more grass than anybody even listening legally. Legally. I was gonna... <laughs> well, that was legal, man. <laughs> lifted, well, you know, back then I lifted the grass off the field yeah. and I freeze dried it and sold it. Get out of here. And I went to Notre Dame, Wrigley, Boston, and now for $99, phenomenal margins on that too, by the way, you know, freeze drying grass. And so, you know, people want to know. You're just taking the clippings out of their lawnmowers and selling it. Yeah. People want to know what, how, how do you come about those ideas? So I, I elaborate on them. And so if you're an entrepreneur, a salesperson, I really get into some really good sales techniques that are definitely out of the box. Like never go, like here's when I never go to a charity event. I mean, I don't know if you go to many charity dinners, but never go without an athlete on your arm. I mean, how, how long are those charity events? You're sitting at a table that you begged nine other people to come that didn't want to come. Sure. And then ah, nah, 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 at some point you're like ready to shoot yourself. And you probably say, if I write a big enough check, you think I could leave. But I go with an athlete. 
the athlete comes at a much cheaper price. I pay him a little bit of money to his charity or her charity. And now everybody in the entire event comes over to my table that wants to meet. It's a networking oh, yeah. event for me. It's like you show, up with, you show up with honey and all the bees come. Exactly. And the person who's throwing the event now recognizes that I actually came and appreciates it because I made their event better. Like stuff like that, out of the box, Brandon. For not, for not, you know, for not a complicated process. Yeah, Brandon, that's nuts. Now the <laughs> the reason you're here is for your newer yeah. book here, Living on Purpose. You wrote this why? Well, I mean, it's been a. First of all, I'm not complaining. I'm explaining. You know, it's been a blessed life. I mean, the people I've hung out with, from Mickey Mantle to Joe DiMaggio to Derek Jeter to Eli Manning, has been amazing. How much dirt do you give out on those guys in these books? Not a lot, but there's, <laughs> there's a couple really good stories. One on A-Rod when he was, and this is really just about you're always better than your worst mistake. Yeah. And, it, and people are always never what they seem to be, you know. So that's a lot about what this book is. Gotcha. A-Rod calls me. He's suspended for a year. He's halfway across the country. He's like, Brad, I need your help. I, I don't want to be that person I was. I got to own up to what I've done. Help me. And we go through that. I, I take through the process of how somebody who is basically 10 feet under yeah. is now above ground. And everybody sees what A-Rod's doing. And, and there's a great Mariano story. Some, just some good stories there. But really at the end, what ended up happening is when I started finding some success where I really realized that if you believe, do you believe in losing is important? I believe it teaches us lessons. Absolutely. You know, and... I do too, and I think that losing most people think is the opposite of winning, when it's a huge part of winning. But what I didn't realize as I started to win more, you're gonna have increased losing. And I just was not ready for the increased yeah. losing and be able to kind of battle that off. So I get to the top of the ladder and I'm probably from being not very having any money to never having to work another day the rest of my life. And I get to the top of the ladder and I'm like, wow, the ground underneath this ladder is very wobbly. And I'm not even sure this is against the right building. My health sucks. I'm, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Definitely not the husband and, and father that I thought I was going to be. So focused on my business. You know, can I divert that a little bit? Can I get a pause in that? And this book talks about all the key people that I went to go meet to show me how to have better sex, to, have, to be a better person, to be a better friend, to get healthier. I mean, I didn't know about church. I didn't know about nutrition. My faith was praying to God that the Yankees would win at the end of the ninth inning in a close game when those bases were. Isn't that, that was what like, we all do? <laughs> that, was like, that was the level of my faith and spirituality. Like, and I think you need that stuff if you really want to sure. be, if you just want to be successful, then you're good. But if you want to be extraordinary and significant, you have to have faith. Uh, you've got to have your fitness. You've got, because you've got to have the clarity. Uh, you've got to want to do more good than want to do more well. And that's this book. I love the way you describe this. If you want to have success, which is just money, sure, go have an off-balance life and grind your nuts off and neglect your family, your faith, your fitness. But if you want to live an extraordinary life, you've got to have what's in this book and the stories are going to guide you. The through. least used button on your remote, the pause button. Nobody uses the pause button. I'm not saying stop. I'm not saying slow down. I'm definitely not saying work-life balance. Show me someone who's got work-life no balance. Got it. They're probably ready to shoot themselves. So they're ready. I mean, yeah, I mean, go to work at nine. Come home at five. And no, 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 no. But you got to respect those other pillars, and you got to most importantly get educated and understand it. Because once you do, you can work it in, and you do have to use the pause button sure. to make sure that the wife gets that extra time. Like a little tip in the book, maybe the best tip in the book, right? Is you're not going to see this coming. Leave your cell phone home on date night. You go out with your wife. You, you tell me you make all this money, probably for your wife, your kids, and then you're out with your wife for the three hours a week, and you got your phone underneath the table. Right. You're in the bathroom checking. How much attention are you really paying her? 
This week I want you, when you go out with your wife, when you say, honey, I'm not taking my phone in case the kids need us, they got your phone. I want to just pay attention to you. Let me know how the rest of that night works out for you. You know what, I'm I will. Telling you, it's a game changer. Fucking changed everything for me. When I go out with my wife on, on the date nights or for lunch, I leave the phone home. This way she knows. Because I'm a little sidetracked. I'm externally extracted. I'm a little lunatic that way. So she knows on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, she may get my attention, may not. But she knows when we go out for those lunches and the two nights we go out, she knows she has my undivided attention to go over important stuff. And that's what keeps the relationship real. I love that. You leave your cell phone on a date night. And that's just a small tip. There's probably a hundred of those nuggets in there. I love that. Now let's talk about one more thing. Like I, I told you earlier before the camera started to roll. In uh, nine, June 16, 1980, we come to the United States. We escape communist Soviet Union and we come to the United States. We're broke. We're po- foreigners. We're eating out, literally eating out of the dumpsters behind grocery stores because we're that broke. Uh, in fact, one of the times when I got lice, we were living in Section 8 housing. Uh, the, the same year I got, uh, we came here, I got lice. My mom and dad couldn't afford lice treatment. My Do you mom, think everybody knows Section 8 housing, what that means? Or I've said it enough on the okay, show, but right, I should cool. say it again. Right. The Section 8 housing, guys and gals, if you're not listening, is when their government is assisting you in the rent. And usually these apartments are, are subpar at best by living conditions. And, uh, you know, I had lice, man. And, and my mom's like, we can't afford lice treatment. She had my dad siphon out gasoline from a parked car and wash my hair with gasoline. And in hindsight, I think back, and she washed outside, you know, in the, in the front kind of a grassy knoll area where all the kids were playing. And imagine now I think back, this foreign, this foreigner lady telling her foreign kid to close his eyes, double over, and she's washing my hair with gasoline. I imagine all those other kids were thinking, this lady's about to light him on fire as she's pouring gasoline on my head. But again, going back to what you said, when you don't have the resources, you get resourceful in life. And my mom had to get resourceful. My dad had to get resourceful and get food out of the dumpster. It was expired, but it wasn't fully rotten. We were able to eat it and live. So uh, that said, but one thing we did, one way my dad and I bonded was he was flipping through the channels when we first came to the United States and found this old broken TV by the dumpster. And we found the WWF, now known as the WWE, run by Vince McMahon. Genius. Now, I understand how you... uh, Started off in baseball and kind of went into the other major league sports. But how did you get into the WWE and working with Vince McMahon in that world? Just starting to. I mean, um, I got to Vince as I've gone to so many different, I, when I come up with different ideas that are out of the box, and usually I get a no. I mean, 99% of the, I mean, I couldn't get a team to pick up the phone and answer, answer my call. Is that a starting point for you? Like when you get a no, that's when you're really starting? Because everyone else stops. No, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm just, I'm not even paying attention to the no. I'm just trying to think who else I'm going to call or who do I know that knows the person who can maybe get a better picture because people are busy, timing's off. There's so many factors into what goes on in someone's day. At least that's busy, that has a, you, you, you can't get caught up in a no. I mean, if you're going to get caught up in no's, you're better off just probably getting a bank job or you know, behind a, a desk or a teller or... Sure. Because no's are just, it's not even, that doesn't even cross my mind. But believe me, I called every team, you know, to get the Yankees to pick up the phone. But once the Yankees and I did a deal, every team was calling me. You know, with Vince, you know, I've called him a bunch of times. Because I, I, I love the WRBD, his imagination and everything. And then all of a sudden, recently, they had tried doing some collectibles. And then Vince said, you know, go see Brandon. We want to go do what he's done with the Yankees, but with WWD. So I'm literally, right now as we speak, because it's one thing to want to do something. It's one thing to want to be successful. But you got to do the things that enable you to be, which is, you know, you got to know what you're doing. Like, you, I, I, you know, you can't fake it. So I've got to go to matches. I've got to now watch. I'm watching WWE at home, which my wife is like, what's wrong with you? 
Uh, why are you watching Raw? Why are you watching? Why don't you tell our audience how big the WWE ecosystem yeah, is? Yeah, I mean, like the WWE is bigger than the NFL, NBA, and, and, and MLB altogether. I mean, people don't realize it. It's got like four Super Bowls a year, yeah. and they're international. Their social media platform is amazing. Now, I understand the sport is, is kind of, you know, some people love it, don't, but the entertainment value is at a it's insane. And I've, I've grown up really start liking it. But you got to, you know, I think product knowledge and being great at something from an entrepreneurship standpoint is so important to do the work. If you come to my office at home, you would think that I'm like a dog without a bone and I'm broke again, which I always think in my mind, I play the little game within the game. I always think that I'm going to be broke again, which keeps me kind of going. But I'm constantly digging, trying to find one little edge or one little angle. And I'm reading every book I can about Vince, about WWE, about all these matches. I got a lot of time to catch up on so I can be intelligent because customers are smart. Fans are smart. You can't fake them. So you can't start coming up with authentic, really cool products about something that's really meaningful to people and you're not really all in. Right. Right. So you're doing your due diligence. You're taking the time to watch and get involved. Yeah, before I just start going for the money grab. I mean, I want to I want to be all in. I want to be able to be I want to be able to sit shoulder to shoulder with a with a WWE fan and know what I'm talking about. Folks, get out there and get yourself a copy of Living on Purpose by my good friend here, Brandon Steiner. And um, you highly recommend, obviously, getting this book, your first book, which is You've Got to Have Balls. Yeah. If you go to Brandon Steiner, I think there's like a deal where you get both of them for a special price. But also, I'm, I'm a, I answer everything on LinkedIn or if you message me, I'm Brandon Steiner. Are you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all over my social. I keep about, I have about a dozen 17 to 19-year-olds around that are mentoring me, teaching me, and then I mentor back. And I, I believe, I really am a big fan of reverse mentoring. Yeah. I think that some of the teenagers out there are brilliant and they've been able to really get me current so I don't become extinct. So to get a smoking deal on both of these books, just go to brandonsteiner.com. Yeah, you get right? them on Amazon too, but yeah, yep. brandonsteiner.com as well if yep. you want them autographed and stuff. Do you have, uh, do you have either one on audiobook? Uh, Balls is on audiobook. You know what's great about the Balls book? The guy called me three times on the audiobook. I should have done my own, but yeah. I, I was so busy I didn't. And the third time the guy called me and said, you know, I, just, I really didn't have a reason to call you. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed this book and I would really love to meet your mother. I said, well, unfortunately, she passed away. He goes, this, this book has me crying. Oh, man. And it was really nice of the guy. To, and the guy's voice was kind of similar to mine, so I was very grateful. And the audio book on this one, I, I've got to do, I have it on Kindle, and I've got to do the uh, audio book in about two weeks. Okay, so you're recording yourself, gonna, the yeah, audio book. What's great on the audio book on this one is, you know, there's a story on Mariano. I'm going to get Mariano to do that story in audio. Yeah. And there's like three or four other celebrities oh, in there I that are going to get to incorporate it and to read their own story. I love that. You want to yeah. hear a funny story about audio books? So think about this. Again, I'm a foreigner coming to this country. Right. Don't speak English. English is a second language for me. Right around third grade is when the when the when you start reading books in class and they do that whole. All right, kids, you're going to read from from this page of the chapter. Then you're going to read it out loud. Then you're going to. And so now I'm anticipating as everyone's reading their pages. Now it's my turn to read out loud. Now, being a foreigner, English being a second language, I just learned the language. Oh boy, I was literally my reading out loud was broken up and choppy and I couldn't pronounce the words right. And everybody laughed. So earlier in uh, this year, about Four months ago, I recorded my audiobook, um, the audio for my book, Man Up. And um, I'm sitting in the sound studio. And I, I told my assistant, I said, Joan, I know they said it's only going to take two days, but I want four days. Just in case I have to read slower and read over and over again. Every, the, the first day was the m most disappointing day ever. I felt like I was letting down the audio engineer and the guy with the microphone and with the dials. I went back to that third grader, man, and I was reading. When I read books in my head, Dude, I'm flying through. 
Soon as I went to reading out loud, Brandon, I'm that third grader again, chopping it up, screwing it all up. And those guys were such pros. By day two, I was back in my groove and we knocked that book out. But it was such that. a great feeling. On day one, when I, when I took a little lunch break, I'm sitting there you talking. Let, my, you can't let a bump in the road pee on the no, side of the road. No, I just got to tell you a quick story on my, my story. When I was in third grade, I had a speech impediment, three, yeah. three, three or four letters I couldn't pronounce. So I finally come on my I said, Mom, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to this pathologist. I don't want to know anymore. And I used to talk like this, and I could And, you know, my mother, you could see she wasn't happy about that. So she picked me up. And my mother picked me up from school maybe, I think, twice in all my years. So she picks me up. She says, I want to take you someplace. I want you to meet someone. So we drive, and she drives right behind this sanitation truck and drives right behind it. We get out. She says, I want you to meet someone. Uh, John is my son, Brandon. I think it's good that you guys meet. John's going to explain to you about being a sanitation engineer and how to drive a garbage truck. This is going to be a great profession for you. Because being the way you speak, this would probably be a good profession for you, probably the direction you're going. And he can explain all the things you have to do in order to become a garbage man one day. I'll go back to the pathologist, no problem. I'll get the speed thing going. And that's how my mother pushed me back to the pathologist. Scared the, scared the shit out of Your me. Your mom didn't fuck around, man. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I remember Holy going smokes. home, I said, Mom, like, my hubcap got stolen, like my first car. It's like, get in the car right now. We're, we're, we're going to go steal a hubcap back. He was like, I said, I don't know how to take a hubcap off. Well, hubcaps are now extinct. That's like sure. a thing of the past. But sure. you're right. my mother went out and got it. it didn't, there was no filter. And, and you know, something, the, the lessons you learn when, you know, when, you know, it's just, there was a, that was I'm not what women it. generally did. But no. Yeah, I'm glad I went back to the pathologist, though, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right? Now you were glad you did. Exactly. Brandon, thank you so much for getting on the show. Again, folks, brandonsigner.com to get both books for a smoking deal, or you can find it on, on Amazon. And of course, you're recording an audiobook two weeks from now, so it'll probably be out, I'd say, maybe a month from the time this, uh, uh, this, this, this episode is published. And of course, where can we find you on social media platforms? Uh, I mean, the best thing, if you know, questions off LinkedIn, connect. I like, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm at, LinkedIn. I don't know why they max out at this ridiculous number, but, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and message me on LinkedIn because I love communicating and I, and I really do jump on LinkedIn every day. I put an hour a day into LinkedIn. I'm, I love the people. I'm I have a really great, yeah. I learn a lot and I, I try to give up a lot. And that's my favorite. And then Facebook's my second favorite. You know, you see Brandon Steiner. Yeah. I put out a lot of good content on both of those. And if you're into entrepreneurship and sports, uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of lives that I do that are very unusual, out of the box. You wouldn't see coming on my Facebook uh, page. Perfect. So you heard it here, folks. Brandon, thank you so much You're for welcome. bestowing your wisdom upon us, for taking the time to come out here, man. You are truly an empire builder. You're connected thank to you. anyone and everyone in sports and entertainment these days. And the fact that you took time out to come to the Empire Show means the world to me. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. The pain's not dry. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. You're coming I'm, back, I'm beautiful baby. Out here. I love it. Thanks for watching the show, folks. And we appreciate you. If you like this episode, and I know you will, please like us, love us, share it, and tell your mama all about it. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for being here for today's Empire Podcast Show. We would love for you to do a quick little favor for us. Just go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, share it with your friends. And if you're interested in growing your business faster, go to bedroskoolian.com forward slash empire. Fill out the application to see if you're a good fit for our Empire Mastermind Group.